0: Hello, 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 6am run family, men and women, everyone in our community. Um, As you guys know, I start every podcast and saying hello, I'm Hami Mahani, but also very grateful for all of you who continue to tune in and make this show what it's become. And thank you so much for that. Also, we got to start thanking some amazing guests we've had for those of you who are listening to the show. I mean, I personally, I think we've published over 40. I've recorded, you know, well over 75 of these now that you guys are hopefully going to see for the rest of the summer. So I really want to thank some amazing guests that we had and thank you guys for now, you know, allowing us to have three podcasts per week. As you guys know, these are brought to you by 6amrun.com a company which I'm the CEO of and founded. But let's uh, not talk about that, this podcast are not so much about 6AM Run as they are the amazing guests we have and their stories and what they're sharing with us. I wanna get right into it. Welcome to the show, Tony Hardman. How
1: are you, sir? Great, honey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I want you to introduce yourself and your bio from your point of view. I always feel people are their own best representative. I call it hype man or hype woman. Tell me about yourself, tell me about your journey, um and please if you don't mind tell everyone why I pinged you based on your bio.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I I kind of just describe myself as I'm a regular guy who suffered from intense depression and anxiety throughout the majority of my life wow. uh, for various reasons and I finally discovered a way how to overcome that and get better. And then I wanted to share that with other people because I especially being a man, and of course, you know, my audience is open to men and women, but it's hard to find a lot of men that are open about their mental health and talk about that struggle. So I wanted people to find a regular person that they can relate to because there's like a really key difference between a therapist telling you something versus like someone you can relate to back up a
0: little bit, because I think what you're saying is also very important. I think I have two daughters and there's no question. I was obviously raised. I'm a man. I was raised as a boy normally is men are raised on that. Brush it off. Don't cry. Mm -hmm. Suck it up. I mean, that's especially I'm 40. You don't have to share your age. You know, I think now boys are hopefully, I think from what I'm understanding, a lot more teenagers and boys are raised with emotional awareness that they didn't have before. But I know us 80s and 90s kids were definitely, hey, brush it off. Don't cry. Shake it off. I mean, I I would come home. I don't know. I I didn't even know if I had a broken bone or something. But my dad's like, hey, you're fine. You're fine. Brush it off. I mean, that's so even now I find that if something's weighing on me, it really takes my wife a lot to get it out of me because I don't want to bog her down with it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. And it's kind of it's an interesting thing, right? Because I think for some people, a lot of it comes from just their upbringing and, you know, how their families and how their parents are. But I think societally, that's probably not a word, but, you know, in society, I agree, I agree. <laughs> there's this pressure that's on you to kind of, you know, not really talk about it, especially, you know, depending on what you're trying to do. Like if you're trying to curate like a professional profile and like you're in a job interview or something, you want to get a job, you don't necessarily want to be honest with your struggle. And, you know, for me, I'm 38 almost 39 and you get to a certain point in your life where you like, you just have to face facts and realize that like things are the way they are for a reason. And the more you talk about it, the more it's going to become acceptable for other people to talk about it. So, you know, like I have a son and I have two daughters as well, and I want to be an example for them. And I I was in the military for 15 years in the army reserve. And so like, there's a certain level of, you know, not being in touch with your emotions and stuff is part of that. And, you know, kind of having that persona, But it doesn't do anyone a service to not be honest about like your feelings and like what your struggles are and to hide it. And my hope is that more and more people will start talking about these things so that not just men, but everybody can start to get better. And it's like so I used to work with uh, disabled veterans for the VA and they had like adaptive sports clinics and they learned how to, you know, do new sports and things like that after being, becoming amputated or being a paraplegic and things like that. And it's like, if you look at somebody that's missing their legs or, you know, has a visible injury, you know, it's very easy to like empathize with that, understand the struggle that they go through. And I'm not necessarily comparing like mental health to the same thing as being a paraplegic. Like obviously that's a tremendous thing to overcome, but it's an invisible disease, invisible wound that you carry around and, and people who don't understand it, is, their first reaction is just brush it off or, you know, be happier or go do, do do something. And they don't understand the chemical imbalance. They don't understand, right. you know, why you are the way you are.
0: Yeah. I, I want to go a little bit backwards. I like to kind of see the total trajectory of, of where people start from worse. Were you a athlete? Did this all start at an early age? Did you self-diagnose? Can you kind of go also back to like the earlier days and then kind of where you say okay kind of if you can take us to the point where you kind of say okay i need help what was maybe the aha moment but if you can also take us to the leading up to the aha moment what it was that got you there
1: yeah that's such a great question and i think there's numerous factors and i think everybody's story is different so for me there were things that happened when i was literally a baby that i didn't realize would affect me greatly until later on in life, you know, so for example, my father abandoned me basically, you know, he was just not really, he was never around. And then my adopted father, you know, my mom remarried and in elementary school, I went through six different elementary schools. And like, that takes a toll on a kid because you're always the new kid. You're always having to adjust. And, you know, we were in Colorado for, I don't even know, maybe two years. And I was in a school district that I loved. I had a ton of friends and literally there was two months left in school, and we relocated to Ohio. And I think like I was almost in middle school at about that point. I, think I was like fifth grade headed into middle school in a year or so. And that was really, really hard on me. Like I, I just, I got picked on relentlessly because the world was different back then, you know, trends and things like that were very much behind from like western states versus eastern and midwestern states so like the way that we the music we listened to the way we walked the way we talked was all different in colorado versus like ohio and that those differences you know kind of stayed with you and that stayed with me and so i remember just like you know crying a lot and being depressed and luckily i made a friend and and that kind of went away but you know in middle school i was a heavier kid and i got picked on a lot and eventually i asked my mom to take me to therapy and she took me to one session and i found it helpful But she's very easily influenced. And so like a coworker was like, well, just take him to do something fun once a month and he won't need therapy. And then she stopped taking me and I didn't get to do the fun thing either. And so then I'm like, I'll try to give you the abridged version, but in high school, you know, it progressed. Uh, I became suicidal often. Like depression was the norm for me. Like it felt odd to not be depressed. That was pretty much the default. You know, at one point I told my adopted father that I, You know, wanted to kill myself. And his response was, I won't go to your funeral if that happens. Because he was like, you know, super religious or whatever. But this was a cry for help. And I wasn't getting the help that I needed. And so finally, when I started college and became an adult, I went to behavioral therapy at school. And I got on, you know, Zoloft, which really just had like a numbing effect. It wasn't like the best medication for me. And I kind of went for a little while, like on and off, but I still very much struggled. I was, you asked if I was an athlete, like I was able, I think to make it through those years because I was literally just like lifting five days a week, like running all the time. Cause I had just gotten out of boot camp, I was very physically fit throughout all of college, but eventually, you know, like I stopped taking the meds. I stopped going to therapy and to kind of bring up to now. So then I became an adult, became a father, you know, still struggled, had experiences with my family that I regret, you know, actions that I regret and because of anger is often tied to anxiety and depression and tried different medications, tried therapy a couple of different times, but nothing really stuck until I was in my early thirties. And, and that's when kind of a change happened. And we can talk about that if you want.
0: Yeah. I mean, and no, get to that. You and I are having this discussion right now. I think the past couple of weeks, because my 14 year old who does, you know, just getting into high school sports and is, it's getting more every year, it gets more and more serious travel, basketball, stuff like that. You can't help, but I think the girl, it was the softball player at Stanford. There was a volleyball player just recently, the teenage suicide rate. Now I'm obviously talking about athletes. I'm not even, you know, unfortunately some of the other children who do commit suicide are not mentioned even. I think sometimes we unfortunately know of the athletes more because they just have a little more fame, even at a young age, sometimes, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, Uh, totally. Especially like some of the phenoms who are really good at their sport. My daughter's 14. There's already like the class of 2025, you know, top 100 girl basketball players. Like it's crazy, right? But to your point, that's built pressure, right? You know,
1: and I don't even want to go. You talk about being an athlete and oftentimes, you know, there's a a lot of scientific evidence that shows that physical activity releases endorphins, which really helps with mental health. And that was the case for me when I was athletic. But if you're an athlete and like you're a runner in particular and you suffer an injury, or you suffer something that's like, okay, you can't run anymore, you can't run for a year or something like that. If you don't have a strong mental resiliency and a strong foundation, how do you come back from that? And you know, yeah. there's strategies to do that and we can talk about that, but I think anybody is susceptible to these sorts of things.
0: No, for sure. So let's get into that. So you obviously, I, again, I love that you you kind of get down to the physical, like, or kind of get down to the root of the problem. I think that's right there, half the battle, if not, maybe even more sometimes to say, that's the other thing too, because I think sometimes we just are not, again, even asking for help in anything. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Like when I've got to move or when I've got to just do something that let's be honest, it's something that could potentially require help, right? I'm not going to lie. I hate moving. Right. Same. Yeah. I got a bad back. So I get it. (laughs) So nobody wants it. So you kind of sometimes are like, shit, like, I'm not going to try to ask my friends are going to be, they're going to say yes, but I know they don't want to help me move. I don't like to move, you know, even though it's a good, let's say even a good situation, you're moving into a better house. It's still not a fun
1: situation, right? Yeah. It's stressful for sure.
0: So where do you get to the point where you're like, all right, I need help. And then let me ask you the person or woman, man, whoever was there to help you obviously it's not something that's finished, but it's the first step, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So I think it's a compounding thing, right? So if you've never been to therapy or anything like that before, I think you have to do an assessment and decide, is it right for you? Is that the path you need to go through? So for me, I had been through therapy, you know, a multitude of times from college to early adulthood. And then in my early thirties, I was like, okay, I really need to go back. I'm just not right mentally. I'm very depressed. I want to kill myself. So I called the VA and I went. And I think there's a couple of different things that are important to note here. So, so number one, there's a difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist. And so I needed both. A psychiatrist can prescribe you medication. A therapist is talk therapy. They help you through your issues. So I, I went for both. And this is something I'm going to hit on here. The therapist that I saw initially, I did not like him. right off the bat. So I think with any medical situation, whether it's depression or a broken ankle or whatever, if you are unhappy with your provider, you have to be your own advocate and you have to make sure that you're seeing the right people. So I immediately requested somebody else and I got an amazing psychiatrist. And after let's just call it 30 years of struggle, I finally got on the right medication. So that helped significantly, at least with like the depression. Right, But the anxiety and stuff was still there and the anger was very much still there. So I saw a cognitive behavioral therapist for a number of years and she was great. And, you know, I voluntarily went to anger management and I went for years. But like I said, it's a compounding effect and CBT only took me so far. It just wasn't working. And the thing that to know about cognitive behavioral therapy is A lot of the science behind it is about rewiring your thoughts in your brain. So the example I like to use is think of it like if you're having a negative thought or negative anxiety about something, putting up a stop sign in your mind and trying to like redirect that for some people that works really well. For me, it didn't. I could never get rid of anxiety. So she recommended after several years, something called acceptance and commitment therapy. And I was pretty much exacerbated at that point. And I was like, I will try anything. And I went into it knowing like, okay, I can't be this way anymore because I've had struggles with interpersonal relationships. I've had struggles in my marriage. I have had struggles with my kids. Like I just need to change. And so I went in with that intention to give it my all. And that program worked really, really well for me. And I I think it's growing in popularity because it is so effective. It's not about changing your thoughts. It's about making space for them and accepting them and moving past them based on like what your core values are. And that really resonated with me. So to your question, I'll say the most important thing for me was persistence because now I have a toolkit, a mental resiliency toolkit that I can use Based on all that therapy, based on anger management, based on ACT, for whatever situation comes up, I'm adaptable to it.
0: I love that. And by the way, thats it's crazy to think, but that's the other thing too. It, it is adapting kind of like a chameleon. It's changing. It's not every situation. I think what, one thing, it's funny when you're saying that, just an idea and a thought that comes to my mind. People, you talk about type A personality and different personalities, people do need to bring, I think where I'm getting at, I I don't want to be too long-winded with this, but I can't treat everything with the same personality or same style. Uh, Me as a manager and a CEO of a company, I'm learning. I can't be, you know, again, being that tough 80s kid, right? I can't treat every employee that we have here. And I'll, I'll say this out loud. People need to be treated differently, right? Some people need to be, I don't want to say yelled at, but they need that little more of a assertive kind of like demanding kind of coach or manager, right? Some people need more motivation and kinder words to be motivated, right? Everyone has a different tick, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, right? it makes total sense. Yeah. And
0: you need to also, I think as a person you need, and not just in work, but even with your friends, you need to know how you can be the best supporting friend or the best person to that person, right? Um, again, I don't want to be long-winded, but I have a buddy of mine, we raz each other bad. Like we make fun of each other so bad, but deep down, we know it's out of love. I realized at a young age, and my buddy and I who do this to each other, we've known each other since we were kids, right? Other friends that have kind of come in our circle, I realized at a young age, and if he's listening, he's my friend, Nick, he knows who he is. Nick and I realized we can't treat other people the way he and I treat
1: each other because they can't handle that. Does that make sense? Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I think we're talking about, so there's two different sides to that, right? So I think there's, so number one, I think if you're approaching like your own personal mental health, you need to bring a little bit of like levity and like mindfulness to the situation for like, you know, who you are. So with like ACT therapy, it's really discovering authentically just being who you are. So the most important aspect of that is like discovering like what your core values are, Mm -hmm. the why behind you're doing anything that you're doing or the why behind you know, what you want to accomplish, Uh, you know, like, so for me, it was, you know, family was my my huge, huge core value. And I talk a lot about like anxiety. I struggle with anxiety. So another component of the act is committed action. So you identify your values and then you take committed action toward those values. So about a year ago, there was an opportunity to coach my son's soccer team came up and like, I had a shit ton of anxiety about it, but I, they needed coaches really bad or he wasn't going to be able to play. So I was like, you know what, I had the time, like, let me do this. And literally the morning before the first practice, I'd never coached soccer before. I'm like almost having a panic attack. It's like you're on the top of a ladder staring off and you feel like you're going to fall down. And my wife was like, why the hell are you doing this to yourself? Why are you torturing yourself? And I said, because I have to. And that's the committed action portion of it. And having a strong value can push you towards your committed actions. So long story short, I did it it was a little bit rocky at start, but then we ended up having a winning season. Like we had one tie game, we won every single game. And I was able to get back to my community. I was able to be there for my son, but also the benefits compounded. So like I was able to overcome this huge thing of anxiety. So now other stuff that gave me anxiety in the past, I'm like, I can do that. It builds your confidence. And when you have confidence, then you feel like you can take on anything. So yeah. going back to like what you were saying, First, you have to get your head right before you can be an effective manager or, you know, like deal with other people or whether it's, you know, if your value is friendship and you want to improve your personal relationships, you have to authentically become yourself. And then at that point to to what you were talking about, it becomes about developing empathy skills. And I think if you're able to like develop mindfulness and come to a place where your, your head is in a good space, then you're much better able to empathize with other people and speak to them and work with them, you know, the way that they want to be worked with. And I think those two things are very important.
0: I love that. I love that. No, this is all great stuff. Now, let me ask you this too. So do you have a, outside of medicine, I think one thing that I think that everyone's different on, and I like to hear different sides. So you're now found the right medication that works for you. Unfortunately, I think that's where there's so much, and even me, there's so much confusion. You'll hear people say, don't do medication and then obviously other people say, no, well, this exists, it helps and I use it. So I I don't want to get into that debate per se, but outside of that, you kind of outside of medication and where I'm getting at with this question, is there any other things that you do now that you didn't used to do? And, And here's where I'm getting with that, a meditation kind of thing. Is there any release an outlet for me that is running, right? Like to just go out there and run every day. I can have one of the worst days, whether it's in business or look at the same time too. No family is perfect. My daughter, speaking of her, cause that's so fresh in my mind last
1: week, she just broke her nose
0: in a game. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, there's always going to be issues, right? Nothing yeah. is, I don't care who you are. Your life's not freaking perfect.
1: Well, the only constant is change.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, What are some maybe things you do outside of medication to just be able to be in that just more calm But like you said, not frantic
1: and stressed out state. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is, yeah, medication is not right for everybody. And I would not ever speak upon whether it was right for, you know, someone listening to this podcast or somebody in my audience. That's a personal choice. And for me, I'm on the lowest possible dose that I've ever been on because of the work that I've done. But to your question, yeah, there's a lot of different things that I do. And so I think it's baby steps, right? So the biggest change for me was mindfulness, and I think when people hear mindfulness, they get like, oh, I don't want to meditate, or like, this is right. this like heady concept, or like, I'm not into yoga or whatever. You don't have to do all that to be right. mindful. So, like, the simplest distillation of mindfulness is in everyday life, try to make a concerted effort to start noticing little things. Like so, that, that. could be like petting an animal or getting a hug from your kid. Or a compliment from, you know, your significant other. So for me, that was kind of the first step when I started ACT therapy. It was around Christmas time. And my kids were, like, going to see Santa. And my son was, like, sitting on Santa's lap. And I remember that moment so vividly because I was in it. And, like, that's the key to mindfulness is, like, connecting to the present moment. Which is another ACT, part of the ACT. Core, not core values is not the right word, but it's part of act It's connecting with the present moment because we spend so much of our life. And this is a big part of what anxiety is. We're so worried about what's going to happen or worried about the future. But the fact of the matter, like I said, is you can't control these things. Right. And in five years, 10 years, you're going to look back on memories and say, I wish I was in it more when I did that. But if you can foster mindfulness, then you can, can do it more. So I will say there are a lot of ways to be mindful without meditation. Uh, there's a post on my website you can check out that has like 14 different ways, but the calm app was also a huge thing for me. Nice. Yeah. So, so like doing a daily meditation, and you don't have to go crazy. It depends on your personality, right? Like what's right for me may not be right for you. For me, I meditate at night. I listen to a sleep story, but I also try to make sure that I'm active and I get good sleep and I do all those things. And like, you know, let's talk about running for a second. Being active is a huge component of it, right? So my kids, They go sit in their room, play video games for a week and they're irritable and they're cranky and they're mad. I'm like, you need to go take a walk. And I need you to promise me that you're going to take a walk every day for the rest of the week. And then their mood suddenly changes. So you have to figure out how to put all those things together. But I don't want your audience or anybody to be overwhelmed by it. Like you can start small and build upon it. Right. No. and, And again, I love that,
0: you know, technology, right? Like you utilize it. You know, there's so many things. I just, I checked today for just one of the big things I'm trying to also do is make sure I get enough sleep, get enough nutrition. Let me ask you that, too. Yeah. So just a, a question I have for you. Do you find, like, if you eat a bunch of sugar or junk food, does that play into your, uh, not physical, but I'm sorry, your mental uh, state? Yeah. So I,
1: I would say the biggest contributing factor to my mental state, like things that still can bring me down is if I get a shitty night of sleep. I think sleep is the number one, for me, the biggest component. If I'm tired, like I'm irritable and it's very challenging for me to bounce back from that. That's the biggest thing. But I think nutrition is also exceptionally important because everything is connected, right? So like with the sleep, that's very connected. So I was struggling with sleep for the past like three years. And I finally started working with a dietitian, And so a registered dietitian. If, if you don't know, it's different than a nutritionist. You know, they have to go through rigorous medical training to give you an eating plan that's right and based on nutrition. So the key component with there was I started adding like a lot more fruits and vegetables to the things that I was doing. And I found as I was eating a lot better I was sleeping better. I was less tired. I mm-hmm. was able to be more active. And again, like everything, it's compounding. So you start with baby steps, working with a dietitian, and then you get better at it. And then you start adding an activity. And then I started doing strength training again and stuff. Well. Wow. So that was all better. And also, if you want, I can talk about like that process. I literally just had a hiccup in that process. Like I'm not able to lift weights right now. And I can tell you why. And I can tell you how I adapted to that mentally.
0: Please. No, go for it.
1: Yeah. I started doing strength training again with a dietitian, And then I was traveling to Phoenix for a conference and I had a back surgery in 2015. I've had a lot of back problems and I threw it out and I was, it was like a pinched nerve, felt like a pinched nerve. It was a ton of pain. Uh, I almost went to the ER, but you know, I struggled and made it back home to Cleveland where I'm from. And I called my doctor and I'm like, I need an MRI. Like something is wrong. Right. Like I need an MRI. So I got the MRI and basically I have Uh, degenerative disc disease, which is basically just like arthritis in my back. But they also found that I have an enlarged thoracic aorta, which is like the main, I'm going to use the medical term wrong because I don't know it, but it it supplies, you know, blood to your heart. Like it's mildly enlarged, but they're like, you cannot do strenuous activity. And so we figure out, like talk to the cardiologist. So like, I'm waiting for that. And before I knew what was going on with the back, like I love hiking and backpacking like if you're a runner and you trail run or like you like hiking, there's nothing better than going out in the forest and finding a calm spot and meditating for like three minutes. It's just, it's better than any drug or anything you can ever find. So I'm like, am I going to be able to go backpacking again? But I know that it's tied to my core value of adventure, Right. right? I love adventure. I love getting out there. So like, even if I couldn't hike or backpack or whatever, I could kayak, like I could adjust that. And I think like, that's, a really important mindset for athletes, you know, especially if like you're a runner, like, okay, why are you running? What is your core value? If tomorrow something happens, you get hit, you're in a car accident and you're a paraplegic, you can't run anymore. What are you going to do? Right. You know, you have to think beyond your goals. You have to start thinking about the why behind what you're, what you're doing.
0: Oh, for I mean- anyone. I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, you always, I hate to say plan, I think, uh, I, was, I forget what I was watching. Oh, I was watching uh, David Letterman has his special on Netflix and he was with Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan Reynolds was just saying, there's always gotta be a plan B. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, if I failed at acting, then I knew one of the reasons he was saying he felt comfortable not going to college and he dropped out after his first day. He said he just literally didn't even last a class. He just went on campus and left but he knew that school could be the plan B if acting didn't work out.
1: You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if I were interviewing him at that point, I would have said, you know, like, what's the value behind acting? Why do you want to be an actor? And I don't know what his answer would be, but you know, it could be something as much as I like communicating with people or like being in front of people. I'm like, cool. You could do training for businesses and stuff. Like it's, it's finding what that thing is and adapting your life to it. Despite the circumstances that life presents you. And I think that's a really, really important skill for mental resiliency.
0: Uh, absolutely, cool. I mean, I, like I said, this has been great. You know, you did this entire interview and you opening up to us. If there's something I didn't mention, I, I do want to say too, so you have your own. Let's talk a little bit too, because if some of our audience wants more, I think the best thing that we're going to do and we're going to send them over your podcast is Not Quite Zen yep. um, and it's not quite notquitezen.co. Uh, exactly how that's spelled. um, we'll put all that in the bio as we kind of come in the fourth quarter of the conversation. Tell me about your podcast, maybe some special story you've met, a person you've met, person you've had on your show. What can you if you don't mind, uh, Tony, tell us about your podcast.
1: Yeah, I love this question because it's it's exciting for me to tell this story. So I did all this work, right? over the course of my life, you know, going to therapy, going to psychiatrists, trying different things, and I finally got better okay. and there was two things that led to starting the podcast, starting the blog. So number one was, I remember when I was still in CBT therapy, looking at my therapist one day and I, I was just so frustrated and I was like, does this actually work? Does anybody ever get better? Right. I, I was just like, this, this is not going to work. I'm never going to get better. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't like, Well, how do you know? You're a therapist. And she's like, well, I worked for me. You know, I liked her, but you take it with a grain of the salt because that's her job. That's her profession. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, whatever. I'm never going to get better. And then I finally did it. And I think like, that's kind of the thing between whatever it is you're trying to do, whether it's, you want to run a marathon, you want to do whatever, when you're on the other side of it, you look at these people that have done it and you're like, how do I get there? It's like, but once you finally do it, you're like, oh man, this wasn't that hard. So persistence is key. We talked about that before I was persistent in doing that thing. Mm -hmm. And then an interesting thing is you're always going to be the person that people have known you as for most of your life sure. to them, despite how you change. I mean, like even like your family to an extent, they're still gonna be like hesitant about changes, like worried about that you might relapse and be that old person. But when you meet new people as the new version of yourself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it can help you realize like, oh my God, like I actually have changed. So I was getting an award at work one day and my boss was kind of like teeing it up. And she was like, you know, Tony, he's our master of Zen. And I don't remember what else she said, but that really struck me a chord with me at the time. Cause I was like, what? Because like my nickname in high school was Angry Tony. And I'm like, wow, I like I really have changed. Like they know me as this like calm, cool, collected guy. And I was, and I thought to myself, you know, that's interesting because I'm not quite Zen, because the journey never ends, right? You constantly have to work on yourself because variables are always changing, you know, talking right. about that lack of control. And so that's where the idea came from. And I was like, I've got to do this because going back to that first point that I mentioned, when I asked my therapist, does this ever work? I have never met anybody else like me. Uh, just a regular guy that suffered from depression who wanted to kill himself, who like actually got better. And to your question about my guests on my podcast, like I've had some great people on that have really remarkable stories and those are amazing things that people can overcome. But like, I think the appeal for me is like, I'm just like you guys, I'm just a regular guy going about his life who I'm happy now. I'm calm. And that's not to say I'm happy all the time because that's happiness is an emotion, but I enjoy my life. I enjoy the little moments and my depression is gone. And so if I can help just one person, then it's totally worth it.
0: Yeah, no, I I do love that. Like I said, I think that that really resonates. And I think sometimes people they need to hear that stuff for themselves or know that people are in the same boat as them. I guess if that makes sense, I think you always need to know you're not alone. One thing I've learned in my podcast, and it's not even um, on the level of what you do on yours. And by the way, I commend you for that. And please don't stop doing what you're doing. But again, I think what everyone always wants to know, and you want to always be, and I don't know if this is kind of like our primal, because at the end of the day, I think we're all a little bit, you know, we're all still kind of creatures or whatever you want to call us. So there's, people want to be part of a group or a pack, if that makes sense, or a family, yeah, or whatever you want totally. to call it, group, pack, family. People like to be part of something. Some people are loners. I don't deny that. But I think even a loner sometimes likes to know that there are people like them out there. I know it sounds crazy.
1: Yeah. We're social creatures. Yeah,
0: of course. So what you're doing, I commend it. I love it. Again, Truly about the podcast. I want to make sure we put that in there and we'll put the link so people can link up with you um, or, or hear a couple of your episodes in the bio. When this is out in a couple of weeks. But Tony, yes. Yeah, was there anything else I missed? Anything you want to share with our audience before we kind of say goodbye or?
1: Yeah. The only other thing I would say is like the best thing that you can do is if you go to my website, just sign up for my newsletter because okay. I send, a, it's one email. Like I don't spam you. One email a week you get the latest podcast episode, the latest blog post from me. But I also curate some of the best mental health content from around the web. Nice. And we also feature like good news stories that aren't necessarily related to mental health. So it's like a boost in your day. Love it. The audience loves it. engagement's really high. So it's not just about me. It's about helping people. So please subscribe to the newsletter and you'll stay up to date.
0: No, that's perfect. Awesome. Tony, uh, we appreciate your time. Everyone listening, I appreciate your time. This was one of the more serious, but I think also more motivating podcasts that Hearing Tony, your story and that last words for me for you are just don't stop doing what you're doing. Um, I think it's awesome that you've turned everything into now helping and really being a, a voice or also being a supporter of people going through what you go through. And I'm I'm glad that you found a purpose in that. So please don't stop doing that. Uh everyone listening, thank you so much. Tony, thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. And the last thing I'll say is my story's serious, but like, I'm not always a serious guy, whatever you're facing, try to have some levity to it. Don't take life so seriously, slow down and start enjoying it. And you know, that's the best advice I can give. So thanks to Ton. It was great being on. And I I look forward to listening and, and seeing what you guys do.
0: Awesome. Tony, thank you so much. All right, everyone have a great day and thank you everyone for listening.